Good afternoon and welcome to this Euractiv online event, which is kindly supported by EDF, the French electricity company. My name is Frédéric Simon, I'm the energy and environment editor of Euractiv, and I will be your host for today's event, which is titled The Role of Electrolytic Hydrogen in the Clean Energy Transition. Now today's debate on hydrogen comes more than a year now after the European Commission presented its hydrogen strategy with a clear objective of sourcing 100% of Europe's hydrogen production from clean energy sources like uh, wind and solar power. What was less clear, perhaps, was uh, the role reserved for so-called low-carbon hydrogen, which can be produced either from natural gas with carbon capture and storage, or from electrolysis using low-carbon electricity coming from the power grid. So where do we stand now when it comes to hydrogen production from low-carbon electricity? To discuss this topic today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Ruud Kempener, Policy Officer at the European Commission's Energy Directorate, Bart Grothuis, a Dutch MEP for the Centrist Renew Europe political group, Raza Engstedt from the Permanent Representation of Sweden to the EU, Nicola Regger, Director at CEFIC, the Chemical Industry Association, Christian Egenhofer from the Centre for European Policy Studies in Brussels, and Christelle Rouillet, the CEO of Hynamics, a French hydrogen startup owned by EDF. A welcome to all of you, and thanks for joining us today. We'll start this virtual conference with short introduction from uh, the speakers, and then we'll move on to a Q&A session that will also include questions from the audience. To ask a question, simply use the chat function on the right-hand side of your screen, and we will take questions from there. I think that's all for me, so without further ado, let me turn to Ruud Campaner. Ruud, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Frédéric, and thank you to everyone for uh, inviting me today here. Um, I would like to start my brief introduction with simply putting on the table what uh, the European Commission has been working off uh, indeed in the period between July when we published our hydrogen strategy uh, and today when we were, uh, where, we are, where we are still at this moment finalizing the last pieces of what we believe is a full regulatory framework for the uh, introduction of hydrogen as a clean energy carrier in our energy system. So when we published the hydrogen strategy in, in July 2020, um, we were quite clear in, in, our, in our vision forward, looking forward. Um, this vision was that in the end, we really see kind of a, a long-term priority for the production of hydrogen from renewable electricity sources. And there are actually three reasons uh, for why this, 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 this long-term vision was, was put forward. Um, first of all, uh, of course, renewable electricity uh, and hydrogen produced from rene renewable electricity is, is almost CO2-free. And that is, of course, most compatible with our future um, climate uh, uh, neutrality objectives in the EU. Um, the second one is that uh, the market analysis show that especially renewable uh, hydrogen 
uh, produced from renewable electricity will be increasingly become cost uh, competitive, especially in the period after 2030, when we're going to need massive amounts of renewable electricity into our grids, uh, and that therefore driving down the costs as, as, as we are decarbonizing our electricity system. And the third reason for, the, uh, for our long-term priority is that we see in the future uh, an, an electricity system which will be largely dominated by renewable power generation from variable renewables. So in particular, solar and wind. And in such a system, the production of uh, hydrogen with electrolysis from these sources will really uh, create an important asset to really manage an integrated energy system. Um, the, the, the hydrogen produced can be used for energy sectors, but also provide uh, services such as buffering and storage of this renewables-based electricity system. We also re recognize in the hydrogen strategy that uh, in the period uh, up to 2030, and of course, because this is a very nascent market, uh, we also need other forms of low carbon hydrogen, especially to replace fossil-based uh, hydrogen uh, production, uh, which still uh, constitutes the majority of hydrogen production in Europe today. Uh, and those indeed uh, could be low carbon uh, hydrogen produced from natural gas with carbon capture and storage, or the production of hydrogen with electrolyzers using uh, electricity, which has very low carbon, for example, from nuclear power. Now, these, uh, this vision has really been translated into our kind of Fit for 55 package, which we, which we presented this year. Um, so on the one hand side, we have in this package a number of um, uh, mechanisms and proposals which will really support the production of renewable and low carbon hydrogen. Uh, a very important uh, one is, for example, the uh, extension and strengthening of the EU emissions trading scheme, and also expanding that to include all forms of hydrogen production uh, uh, within the EU ETS. For example, if you compare that to today, we only cover um, steam methane performing in the uh, emissions trading scheme. So this really provides an incentive for both renewable and low carbon hydrogen uh, uh, production uh, and to compete with fossil-based hydrogen production today. Another important proposal is the energy taxation directive, where we both, for both renewable and low carbon hydrogen, uh, put forward proposals to have preferential tax treatment at least in the period up to 2030 to ensure that those forms of hydrogen become more attractive to the end consumer. Now, besides that, we also have specific measures for uh, the uptake of, of renewable-based hydrogen in the Renewable Energy Directive. Um, so what we did here is we really proposed a number of sub-targets in energy sectors where we believe renewable hydrogen will be an important facilitator to decarbonize those sectors. For example, the steel sector uh, and, and the chemical sector where hydrogen is already consumed today. Uh, also for the transport sector, uh, where we see a number of transport applications such as heavy duty and long distance uh, transport in the maritime, in the, avian in the aviation sector, or also heavy duty trucks, uh, we believe that hydrogen there can play an important role, renewables-based hydrogen, and that's why we have a sub-target uh, for those sources there. Uh, 
Then last but not least, there are also a number of other initiatives, especially in the aviation and maritime sector, to really kind of uh, make sure that the end consumer there uh, is incentivized to take um, uh, renewable and low carbon hydrogen sources uh, into its system to decarbonize and reduce its greenhouse gas emission intensity of its activities. So with this whole package of kind of proposals already in place, we believe that we provide the, the necessary framework to put that vision uh, in, into concrete policy proposals. Now, there's still one thing missing, and that will be coming on the 14th of December, which is our hydrogen and gas market decarbonization package. Um, like the, the 10E proposal, uh, which we already put forward at the beginning of the year, it really looks at how can you create this hydrogen ecosystem and kind of market framework uh, in place in Europe. And again, there, uh, this, 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 this package, what we try to, to do there is to make sure that we have all of the pieces uh, uh, in place, including, for example, the cert certification of low carbon hydrogen, a piece which is at the moment uh, still not covered in our Fit for 55 package. Um, so with that, I hope I provide an, an overview of, of what we've been working on and I'm looking very much forward to the discussion. Thanks very much, uh, Rude, and let me turn now to Bart Grothuis. Yes, thank you very much, Frederick, and also thank you very much, Rude, because um, as one of the negotiators in Parliament for the uh, hydrogen strategy, um, I'm very pleased to hear that so many things have taken on board what we wish for in uh, Parliament, especially the focus on both renewable and low carbon. Uh, so thank you for that. It's also very interesting to see in the Netherlands, I'm calling from The Hague, that the negotiations for the new government uh, are on its way. And what is interesting there, to me, is I can't say what is on the table or what is not, but if you look at some well-informed newspapers, they say that uh, both the Christian Democrats, EPP, and my party from Renew will propose uh, to build new nuclear power plants in the Netherlands. And it's important that we do so because what we need is a good energy mix, like Ruth says, from all energy sources that could help us decarbonize us and our industries. We will need everything, but my special attention goes to hydrogen. In every scenario, we will need molecules, and some of the industry leaders will be talking to us later. Um, but I do want to focus first on the large, I mean, over 100 billion euros worth of grey hydrogen production of hydrogen that is already in place. Decarbonizing that is of essential and then making extra hydrogen is only possible if we uh, make it in large quantities. And I would love to do so in green hydrogen as much as I can. But the ambition of the Commission of 40 gigawatts in 2013 is not just the, the, the maximum of realistic, but it's also too little to decarbonize everything. So we need both imports. But I do believe that we need new forms of low carbon uh, electricity to produce hydrogen, extra hydrogen, because our industries need it. And I'm very much in favor for that. And uh, for TCUS, but both that and um, low carbon forms, an alternative such as purple hydrogen produced from nuclear power plants. So in that um, way, I'd like to say that my main thesis for this, and I'd like to conclude with that, is that um, from a political angle, that might not be the best solution for every politician, right? But it, it's, 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 it is the best as a whole. It might not be perfect, but it is best. And I don't want the perfect to be 
the enemy of the good. And that is the, the main reason I'm in politics. Make sure that we get this hydrogen market backbone running. And thank you, Ruth, for that introduction. Very eager to learn from the others. Many thanks, Bart. And let me turn now to Raza Engsted from the Permanent Representation of Sweden to the EU. Thank you so much, Frederick, and thank you for having me in this very on this very exciting topic. I think we're somewhere in between. We're one of the member states that have very high ambition regarding the new renewable energy. Our national target is 100% renewable until uh, 2045 in electricity. At the same time, we have nuclear and energy mix, and at this point of time, it is 39% of electricity production is from nuclear. And that balance needs to be met. And in that case, from Swedish perspective, what we see important is, is to look at what is the ultimate goal of this transition, which we are, are in the eye of at this point of time, and that's decreasing the, the emissions and reaching the climate targets. So for us, the most important part is that all fossil free electricity should be used, should be able to use for, uh, for hydrogen production from electrolyzers. The hydrogen production from electrolyzers is where the focus should be and that we should not add additional requirements such as so-called additionality of renewable energy uh, for specific electrolyzers, but rather connecting the large electrolyzers to the grid uh, and ensuring the, the, the electricity um, production uh, that is needed for the, for the large amounts of hydrogen that will be needed in the future. Regarding the use areas, um, the most important part that we see is to use hydrogen is one of the technologies, but the most important uh, part is to use hydrogen where no other um, more cost-effective solutions exist. And that we see in, for example, uh, industry, decarbonizing industry, and one of the flagship projects of ours is so-called hybrid, which is production of a fossil free steel uh, based on based on hydrogen so there we think there is a huge potential of decarbonizing those those areas and um, i will stop there at this point thanks a lot raza and let me turn now to nicola rega from cefic thank you frederick and thank you Yoraki, for the invitation um, from my side, chemical industry, we are uh, the, in the top three industrial sector that is already today using and producing hydrogen. Um, we are expected to remain in the top three by 2030, and depending on how the carbonization pattern goes for steel, we might be in the top three, top four by 2050. So uh, hydrogen is clearly it's an important topic for us. Uh, today is uh, uh, almost entirely produced as unabated uh, hydrogen, and we are conscious of that this is not sustainable and we are fully engaged in the transition towards the climate-neutral chemical industry by 2050. Now, if I can, in these few minutes, uh, just three messages um, from my side. The first is, um, I think we need to address uh, at least two challenges at once here. Uh, one is the time pressure that we are under which in tackling climate change and the need to prevent that uh, there is an increasing greenhouse gas emission that leads to increased concentration of, of these gases in the atmosphere. But at the same time, we also need to, to, to make sure that we can preserve the, interna the international competitiveness of our industry, given that Europe has having a, a leading role in, uh, in this uh, race to, to 2050. So hydrogen is part of the solution, at least in our sector, uh, but needs to be cost competitive. 
Uh, that means that we need all renewable and low carbon options to be deployed as soon as possible. Um, and uh, we will need support in the transition period uh, until uh, uh, these uh, new forms of hydrogen become cost competitive. Secondly, um, we don't talk too much about hydrogen in terms of purity, but for us, it's clearly it's, it's top priority to have uh, the highest level of purity when it comes to hydrogen because we use it uh, for feedstock purposes. And in this context, um, uh, electrolytic, electrolytic um, uh, hydrogen offers among uh, uh, one of the highest purity levels. So there is definitely um, value in, in pursuing this path. Now, the third point I'd like to raise is uh, about the cost of electricity. And uh, to be specifically, it's the cost of using electricity, which is uh, one of the uh, biggest obstacles that we are facing when it comes to uh, the use of electrolyzers. And, uh, um, and secondly, it's also, um, we will require a significant amount of, of electricity in our industries, um, both for direct and indirect electrification. And that requires um, strengthening on local grids and be able to transport um, uh, electrons from uh, uh, one place to the other. And uh, we see a lot of bottlenecks at the moment uh, that needs to be addressed in order to allow these uh, electrons to freely flow across borders. I'll stop it here and um, happy to continue the conversation afterwards. Thank you. Thanks very much, Nicola Rega. And so let me turn now to Christian Egenhofer from SEPS. Yeah, thank you, Frederic, and thank you, Euractiv, for inviting me to this uh, distinguished group. Um, yeah, quite predictably, uh, many of the points have already been mentioned. Uh, uh, so let me just maybe go a little bit uh, deeper in, in, in some of the challenges. I think it's, it's quite clear um, the, the short-term strategy is, uh, uh, is, is relatively easy to understand and we all seem to agree Europe needs to get into the hydrogen economy to be part of that value chain, creating jobs, uh, economic prosperity and, and all of this. Huh? Now, the challenges have already been mentioned uh, that there are uh, the volume of uh, re uh, renewables uh, available and the, the price of that renewables. I think that has been for a long time uh, the discussion and we seem to be going around a little bit in, in circle. So I think was quite uh, happy to hear Rosa uh, also saying, you know, we should really look at all the different options. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, let's discuss this maybe uh, later. But uh, can I turn to one point that's what I see a second challenge, which is now being talked about a lot, is the, the imports. You know, when governments don't see enough domestic uh, hydrogen, they look at imports. Uh, we want to get them from North Africa via pipelines or via electricity, Middle East, uh, ammonia via ship. Now, the question for me is, do these countries have actually enough electricity or enough renewable electricity available? for us to give. There will also be others uh, around uh, in who will need hydrogen or maybe electricity in other parts of the world. And of course, we all know it has major uh, geopolitical implications. Um, but uh, when you when I look at the perspective from Middle East or North Africa, I just wonder whether from their perspective, it doesn't make much more sense uh, to produce green steel, uh, green chemicals, uh, Nicola, or other things themselves rather than exporting uh, hydrogen. Uh, so why would they not go to the, to the real thing than a rather a remaining a producer of commodities? 
But on the imports, maybe one more point that we seem to be overlooking a bit, and that is uh, the renewables revolution in Europe has also been driven by the desire to become independent of fossil fuel imports, independent of fossil or of uh, global energy market and commodities. And the current energy uh, price spike is, of course, a result of imported fossil fuels, uh, which have a very high price. Are we not reproducing by having more imports uh, the same situation as we have before? So I think worthwhile uh, exploring that idea before uh, we jump too quickly. The third challenge, I don't need to uh, spend much time, is of course uh, the load factor, economics, cost of electricity and all this, and the way the framework is shaped in order to get maximum uh, economic efficiency. Uh, let me stop here. Thank you. Thanks, Christian. And now to round up the uh, round of opening statements, let me turn to Christelle Royer. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for uh, this opportunity to speak about uh, low carbon and renewable uh, hydrogen. Dynamics um, was uh, created in uh, 2019. It is a, a subsidiary of EDF Group. We develop hydrogen projects in a number of uh, European countries with a, a strong uh, focus on uh, France and uh, Germany. And of course, we uh, focus on electrolyzers electri using renewable and low carbon electricity to produce hydrogen. And we mainly see hydrogen as a way to decarbonize sectors which are difficult to electrify. I would like to highlight that the regulatory choices we are currently uh, making in the uh, EU are crucial if we want to develop a hydrogen sector in Europe. Other countries, region of the world, are moving fast. The EU is looking at renewable hydrogen as its top priority. But it's important not to foreclose options as this very early stage. While I develop, for instance, renewable hydrogen projects in Germany, I also see that competitive grid-connected projects could be developed in member states where electricity is already very low carbon, like France or the Nordics. Grid-connected electrolyzers could contribute to decrease the cost of hydrogen. Indeed, this allows electrolyzers to produce hydrogen during a very high number of hours per year, which is very important if we are um, producing hydrogen to industrial customers. Um, for a business standpoint, um, we need clarity on several aspects of the regulatory framework for hydrogen as soon as possible. Maybe first, um, I would say it's important to know what will be detailed criteria defining renewable hydrogen? Our projects in Germany 
are waiting for this. We already see a scarcity of renewable electricity in Germany. It takes at least three years to obtain a PPA, electricity PPA, for a brand new renewable power plant. In France, it takes 10 years to build a new offshore wind farm. Secondly, I would say that the sector needs clear definitions for low carbon hydrogen, including electricity-based low carbon hydrogen. There is an ambitious existing reference in the taxonomy. Finally, the European Commission has proposed ambitious targets for renewable hydrogen, especially in industry. It will be cost effective to have low carbon grid connected hydrogen contribute in one way or another way. Low carbon hydrogen can usually contribute to the emission reduction. I would be happy to hear the panelists of this. Thank you. Thank you very much, Christelle. And uh, let me start, uh, stay with you um, for, the, uh, for the first question, if I may. Uh, maybe, Christelle, you can update us on the state of play uh, when it comes to the definitions of low-carbon hydrogen, uh, which is currently still uh, being debated in the European Union. Can you tell us what are the issues at stake for a company like yours? Yeah. Uh, it's very important if we are um, um, uh, developing the project that will uh, produce hydrogen to uh, supply uh, industrial customers to have um, uh, an electrolysis that will be um, at least uh, operated in a long uh, term um, um, uh, of hours. Uh, in fact, the um, uh, raffineries or the cement industry or uh, the chemie uh, industry, they need um, hydrogen uh, on, um, uh, on, a, on a long uh, uh, supply. And that's why uh, it's uh, also relevant to operate an electrolyzer uh, in a long uh, term of, uh, uh, of hours. Um, we know that um, operated, uh, operating uh, an electrolysis uh, lower than 5,000 hours a year is not profitable. And that's why it's uh, very, very important to have, and that's how also what my colleagues uh, uh, have said, to have different sourcing of electricity uh, and, of course, low-carbon electricity producing hydrogen with electrolyzers. Thanks, Christelle. Uh, let me turn now to uh, the representative we have from uh, the Council, or Sweden in the Council, uh, Raza Engsted. Can you please update us on the state of play when it comes to uh, discussions which have taken place so far in the, in the Council, uh, when it comes to definitions for what constitutes uh, low carbon hydrogen. Have you come to a decision uh, yet uh, in the council or not? 
Thank you, Frederick, for your question. Um, no, unfortunately not, of course. And this is due to several factors. The first one is, of course, where we had the strategy presented by the Commission, the hydrogen strategy. Then under the German presidency, where there were um, produced um, council conclusions on raising certain uh, important issues, while definition of low-carbon hydrogen was one, not one of them. And now we have, under the Renewable Energy Directive, we have... Uh, RFMBOs, so-called so renewable fuels of non-biological origin, where hydrogen is included and renewable hydrogen specifically is included. And I think we're waiting for the last piece of legis legislation from the Commission uh, regarding the, uh, the decar gas decarbonization package where the, the question, question of low-carbon hydrogen should be addressed. Regarding the definition itself, it's a, at least from the Swedish perspective, we think it's a bit unlucky that both um, fossil-free electricity-based hydrogen and hydrogen from natu natural gas with CCS has uh, kind of <laughs> fallen on the same definition because they have a completely fundamental difference of in production type and, of course, the, the climate effect as well. While one is, is using the potential of existing electricity mix in a lot of member states in the EU, the, the other one uh, is increasing the use of fossil energy and, and, and getting us further away, away from, from reaching our climate goals. So we really hope that we'll come, we will come back to that. And, and I, I hope that the discussion uh, on this definition of low carbon hydrogen will become more nuanced regarding what is the primary goal of this transition and using hydrogen technologies and how we can use it in the most effective way for the climate uh, uh, targets. Okay, uh, thanks Raza Engstead. Uh, let me turn now to Bart Grothuis for a view coming from the European Parliament. Uh, can you tell us, uh, Bart, similar question uh, to you uh, than the one I asked to Raza. Uh, first, what is your view on this debate uh, about uh, low-carbon uh, hydrogen definitions? Can you update us as well on what the current state of play is in the European Parliament uh, when it comes to those definitions? That's a very good question because there is political debate. And like uh, Raza said, that, that we had that debate in Parliament. But the, one of the best things about Parliament is also that you come together and then you say, what is our actual goal? Where do we want to go? We want to go towards a, a hydrogen backbone for the entirety of Europe to save our industries and decarbonize it. And like Ruth said, for heavy duty transport, for the rest, there's not sufficient amounts of hydrogen. So what you want to do is make sure that you first decarbonize very nuanced, like Raza said, very nuancedly, new, uh, decarbonize the grey hydrogen production of over 100 billion euros a year, and then make sure that you ramp up a market, head towards that goal, and that's only possible if you do it with CCUS. And if you would say the ultimate goal is green hydrogen, then you need to be sure that you're not aiming for the perfect, but you're aiming for the good and I was very glad to see that across Parliament we got together and we had many mentions in our parliamentary report on the, um, the strategy that we support blue hydrogen. And that's very, very, very important. And uh, like some others have said, I think the production method is not that important if you would just say it's low carbon. That is our goal. We should keep our eyes on the ball, not on the way we play the game. It's very important that we, that we, that we come to our goals. And, and um, one thing on the additionality, that was a huge debate. 
and that will be a huge debate but i am very scared that in the current red the additionality requirements are funest like they say in france uh, they that, that's that's that those are detrimental to to new investments into green hydrogen so we want to create something and we reach the opposite i'm very very eager to make sure that we get the right additionality requirements so that investors will get on board with green hydrogen and will not say this is not what we are about. we're not going to invest in it because of rules that brussels gave us so so that's that's the stance i think in brussels but um any uh, other questions happy to answer but, uh, thanks, Bart Kortos. Let me turn uh, now to uh, Christian Egenhofer um, with, or rather to Nicola Reger, uh, with a view from industry about these uh, issues of definition. What is the position of the chemical industry when it comes to uh, definitions of low carbon hydrogen? And you, can you tell us what is at stake here for the chemical industry? Yeah, thanks, Frederick. It's uh, it's indeed. I mean, definitions sometimes seems to be not important, but actually they are at, at the really at the, at the heart of the debate. Um, I want to go back on 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 the starting point, which is why are we doing all this? Uh, and this is because of, of climate change. And uh, uh, for us, it's important. We try to frame this into the the issue of of urgency of tackling climate change and to reduce emissions. And in this part, I also like to, to give space to the, to the markets to make the best choice and not to be uh, technology prescriptive or picking technologies. Um, so from our perspective, um, it's really about uh, making it this transition in a, the, the lowest cost for society and, and, and let the market also find a solution. Now we are, um, going through a patchwork of, of situations where um, uh, it starts to become a bit difficult to understand um, what is uh, uh, the long-term vision. Um, we, we discussed before about um, uh, the Renewable Energy Directive when there is a, a target on, on industry, on, on REF MBOs. And, and, and uh, um, I think was uh, uh, Raza was quickly saying that, that that's a renewable hydrogen. Um, Yes and no. I mean, um, yes, it's uh, electrolysis, uh, it's included there. But if you want to do uh, hydrogen from uh, uh, pyrolysis of biogas, then that would not fall into the definition. So it would be something else. So um, th that's one thing. Then we are, um, on, in one package, we are uh, trying to promote this uh, uh, on-site uh, uh, production of, of hydrogen. And then uh, there's another package which is trying to, to promote the um the uh the, the, the infrastructures so a market for hydrogen but it's a bit like if you're saying um, uh, if we are all uh, um, making cookies at home uh, are we having a, a, an internal market for cookies or are we having an internal market for flowers for flour so are we having a, a, an internal market for electricity that then we will use for hydrogen or we, we are, are we building a, a market for hydrogen and we don't know who's gonna benefit from this market so there is a bit of um, of conflict messages now what, what does it mean for, for us as an industry is that, um, that there are uh, um, clearly some some cost implications and some, some also some uh, technical practical implications um, for us using hydrogen it's um, it needs to be part of an integrated process uh, in our production facilities. Uh, that means that we would need uh, hydrogen to be delivered 24 hours a day, uh, seven or seven uh, for the whole day, the, the whole year. 
So um, which technology can uh, provide those volumes at affordable prices uh, uh, throughout the whole year? Um, what kind of, of, of system do we need to put in place? Uh, clearly at the beginning, uh, whatever system we, we think of might be uh, more expensive because today um, we are using uh, uh, technologies and solutions which are uh, including a carbon price component, but it's not sufficient for, for making the switch. But then in the future, we need to move to something else. And we need to make sure that this transition happens in, in the appropriate way. Otherwise, we will start seeing, uh, and we see already now that uh, we, we got the signal to start investing in certain technologies. And then after a few months, we have another signal which says to stop investing those technologies. And we're talking about billion euro investments. And uh, uh, if we give too many uh, contradicting messages, then um, uh, that might result into deterring um, investments in Europe and, and moving these investments somewhere else. Okay, thanks Nicola Rega. Uh, let me turn to Christian Aganoff uh, uh, for a similar question to you. Essentially, what is your take about this uh, debate on the definitions of low carbon hydrogen? Why does it matter in your view and what do you think could be the way forward? Um, yeah, look, I, uh, Fred, I've been in the energy discussions for more than 30 years and the nuclear question is always going around the same way. It would be very difficult for the Austrian government, for example, uh, to accept uh, anything which is slightly positive on, on nuclear. So we have this political discussion and I think the EU has to, to, to find a way around it. But Fred, can I get this a little bit more concrete get away from uh, the principle and, and the politics. I was intrigued by Christelle uh, making her case uh, about the, the grid-based, which is something which actually we don't discuss a lot. Huh? We don't discuss a lot. We rather discuss the definitions, but this grid-based. Now, uh, Christelle, you know, how does this grid-based uh, hydrogen in France, huh? because it's low carbon, actually comparing costs compared to renewable hydrogen, which normally would be dedicated line huh? with the average onshore two and a half to 3,000 hours, offshore three to 4,000 hours. With the grid-based, you're, of course, uh, much further. Now, how much, we turn it the other way around, how much is hydrogen produced uh, by dedicated renewable production more expensive uh, than when you do it uh, uh, grid-based? Um, and, you know, we, we looked in some of these numbers and we are going to publish a report where we have reviewed all the other reports and also some of the policy and come down to a number of numbers which really can make a difference. And the, as you mentioned, Christelle, and then, then I stop. The, the, you know, if you, if you run an electrolyzer for less than two hours, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You should go to three, four, uh, five or, or, or even more. So therefore, if we can push them, uh, then we get electrolyzers into the, into the market. We get hydrogen, whether it's 24-7-7, I don't know, but we get them into the market and we get this hydrogen economy going. My understanding is we want to have be part of that hydrogen economy. We want to be part of the value chain. We want to get the economic benefits, jobs, etc., uh, etc. Et but, you know, very concretely, uh, I think we forget sometimes over these principles, uh, the numbers. Maybe that's my deformation. Uh. Put, uh, let me put a question to Christelle Rouillet then. Uh, so, ha have you done the number crunching in France when it comes to the cost of grid-connected 
hydrogen production compared to the costs of, of uh, uh, hydrogen production from renewables? Um, thank you, Christian, for this uh, question. It's, uh, uh, of course, a very important uh, question and a crucial one. Um, at least um, the, the, the purpose here is um, um, uh, not really to, to uh, struggle with uh, electricity sourcing, but um, the most important thing is uh, that uh, the industrial customers want to uh, buy the um, uh, hydrogen as the same uh, levels that they um, are buying right now with uh, uh, the supply of uh, grey hydrogen, meaning um, with the steam methane reforming uh, uh, classical method. And uh, now they are buying this hydrogen uh, with, and we know also, uh, all um, this uh, figure, uh, is uh, 1.5 to 2 uh, euro per uh, kilos. That is um, with um, uh, grid connected electrolyzers and or uh, maybe a PPA, uh, not the case because we are about three uh, for, from uh, uh, sorry five to uh, uh, six euro per uh, kilos. What um, is um, in, in indeed the difficulty with renewable electricity sourcing is uh, to build, I would say, um, a, a base load of um, electricity, which is important if you supply, as Nicola uh, uh, said, if you want to supply customers that, needs, uh, that need um, uh, hydrogen uh, 24 uh, hours all year long uh, um, uh, and all day long, then uh, it's difficult to build this kind of PPA or it will be an aggregation, I would say, between different renewable electricity sourcing as onshore, offshore, and uh, solar. And uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, quite difficult uh, to build that kind of uh, um, uh, PPA, uh, where we know that um, uh, there is a kind of scarcity of uh, renewable electricity sourcing uh, in uh, Europe. That's why uh, we, we, we said if the electricity is uh, um, on uh, based on low carbon as uh, we have uh, in France. We um, uh, should have this kind of flexibility uh, given to the different member states uh, to be able to uh, supply the electrolyzers with this uh, grid connected electricity because it will be also uh, a more efficient way to operate the electrolyzers. Uh, as I said, uh, 5,000 hours a year, uh, it's um, quite difficult to, to have uh, an electricity sourcing uh, to do that. Um, and at least, of course, um, if we have a low carbon uh, um, electricity as in France, uh, which uh, will reduce um, CO2 emission, it's uh, also uh, helpful. So it's not um, only a question of uh, of cost or of subsidies, I would say, but also a technical uh, capability to supply hydrogen to the different customers that need for their own process this kind of uh, uh, low carbon and renewable hydrogen. Thank you, Christelle Rouillet. Um, and uh, just to round up now uh, uh, the, the discussion about the definitions, I would wanted to have Ruth Kempener's uh, opinion on everything that we've heard so far. 
Um, are you satisfied with the, the way the discussion on this definition of what constitute low carbon hydrogen, are you satisfied with the way it's going? And do you believe it requires further clarification uh, that uh, maybe uh, the Commission could bring in the upcoming gas package? Um, indeed, uh, in, in the upcoming gas package, we will be indeed looking at the at the question of definitions and we need to kind of square this, this whole box, making sure that everything is covered. Uh, but one thing of the, the, the discussion definition, which I haven't heard yet, indeed, is, is the consumer itself. I think it's really critically important that the, the definitions that we use also give the, 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 the confidence to the consumer that he or she knows what they are buying and then of course can also use this at a later stage. So that I think is an important element which we really also need to take into account into these definitions. And, and the vision already laid that out a little bit how we want to do that. Uh, we want to make sure that at least the definitions includes the source, so the energy source, which is used to produce the hydrogen, because of course you need an energy source. The second one is you need to make sure that you communicate on the greenhouse gas emission savings that you have from your uh, hydrogen. Uh, and the third one is, of course, that if you use certain sources, you also need to communicate on the sustainability criteria associated with those. So I think with those three elements, uh, in the definitions, we can really give the confidence to the end consumer that he or she knows what uh, so what what hydrogen is being used to decarbonize its uh, activities. Thank you, Ruth Kempener. And uh, I think uh, Raza Engstedt asked for the floor. Uh, Raza, go ahead. Thanks so much, Frederick. I would like to come back to this important discussion regarding the uh, grid-connected uh, electrolyzers. I think, uh, once again, I would like to a bit nuance the, the discussion here. And on one side, one can say that uh, grid-connected grid electrolyzers is really providing the stability of hydrogen production. You always have, more or less, always have electricity in your grid. Let's hope that in the future and so you can provide a, a cost-effective way of hydrogen production from electricity. However, that completely works on, on, on from, for Sweden or France. However, on EU level, we need to nuance that because as we know from the current discussions on high electricity prices, 20% of EU's electricity is produced from natural gas, which means that if we only connect the discussion on electrolyzers and, and stability for hydrogen production to electricity uh, grid, uh, that means that we also connect 20% of, of uh, electricity produced from fossil fuels to, to produce hydrogen, which doesn't make that hydrogen quite green or fossil free anymore. So I'd like to just a bit to come back to that difficult question of, of nuancing what message is the whole EU bringing to the, to the market. And I completely agree as well that we should not go to too much detail too fast. And that's some of the risk we've seen with Renewable Energy Directive where creating a high level of different uh, type of sub-targets uh, kind of locks in the market in a sense that it doesn't really allow the market to see where the most cost-effective and cost-efficient way of, of hydrogen use would be. So there is a bit of different nuances there that we need to take into account uh, uh, depending on the energy energy mix here. So I was just I just wanted to make that comment and, and of course very happy to hear 
uh, my colleagues' um, responses and discussion that. Thank you. Thanks, Raza Ekstad. Uh, and maybe uh, let me ask a, a follow-up to what you just said. Um, uh, maybe uh, simply setting some sort of a standard for what constitutes low carbon hydrogen could be the way forward and then depending on um, uh, the, uh, the, the constitution of uh, the electricity mix in any given country, well then grid connected hydrogen would qualify or not qualify. Um, is that at all something which uh, you've been discussing in the council? I think there are different tools and different approaches there. I think that should it should it should not be black and white. So it doesn't it should not be a situation where, um, if you use grid uh, hydro, grid based hydrogen, you either are low carbon or green or gray or so it's, it has to be nuanced. And I think certification system um, needs to needs to be in place for that and and the guarantees of origin and so on and so on so i think there is there is a situation there as well and there is one of the aspects frederick that you mentioned but the other aspect i think we at least from swedish perspective i think we need to start start focusing on what is the 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 ultimate goal and the end game of of the discussion we have right now and it's to phase out fossil fuels in any situation, both in, in their primary use as, as a so energy of source, but also used for electricity production, which in that, uh, after that can be used electricity, that electricity can be used for hydrogen produ production. So I think we need to create the legislative framework that gives a clear signal of phasing out fossil fuels in all stages and in all levels of where they are used. So. And that, of course, is, is a question on itself. And I think we'll come back to that, um, of course, during the discussions of the gas decarbonization package, which hopefully is this, you know, decarbonizing gas sector is, of course, the most important part of, of having um, the real effects of hydrogen to the climate targets and the transition we're facing. Thanks, Raza Ekstad. And uh, let me turn now back to Christelle Rouillet, because I believe you have some further uh, figures to share with us. Yes, thank you, Frédéric. Maybe to, uh, to complete the answer as I have uh, given to, uh, to Christian, uh, um, our um, experience, and I would say our last uh, uh, figures that uh, we can share is uh, if we are talking uh, about the electricity prices, uh, I would say before the um, last uh, increase of electricity uh, in uh, in Europe, we are talking more or less about uh, 62 uh, euro per megawatt hours grid connection included, um, where uh, you will have more or less uh, 70 to 80 euro per megawatt hours if you are talking about uh, pure uh, renewable electricity sourcing depending of course um, on on uh, on the uh, on onshore on wind farm or a reno um, a solar wind farm so at least um, uh, you have this kind of uh, of difference i would say uh, uh, for instance in uh, in france uh, and of course uh, if we uh, develop that kind of project one of the uh, essential i would say and and uh, important uh, uh, opec uh, in uh, in the in those uh, project is of course the uh, uh, electricity sourcing. The other part of uh, uh, the OPEX, of course, uh, is, um, um, uh, um, I would say, uh, uh, some um, 
different uh, one m uh, things and and uh, and water but it's uh, a small part of all the uh, investment uh, of the of the opex and what is also very important is that to uh, have a decrease of the um uh, electric electrolyzers costs that will uh, be uh, probably allowed because of the uh, giga factories that uh, will be uh, uh, developed and built uh, in uh, the different uh, countries of uh, of europe Thank you, Christelle. Uh, Christian Aguinaldo, um, you were using the internal chat with uh, Christelle and, and Reza Engstead. Uh, so, uh, do you still have concerns? Maybe uh, you can you can share with us some of the thoughts uh, or questions that you are asking. Are you satisfied with with the answers that you've heard? Yeah, we 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 had a we had a, a good chat, and you know some of these numbers are, are, are quite revealing. Now I have a question, if I may, Fred, uh, to to Nicola. I mean, Christelle made the point uh, that it is possible to aggregate a number of PPAs uh, in such a way that you get your twenty four uh, twenty four hours hydrogen uh, produced. Uh, Nicola, you are operating in the power market, in the PPA market. Uh, do you see this, uh, you know, possible in 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 most of the European countries? In some, or do you see this possible that you can really aggregate the number of PPAs to produce uh, to produce hydrogen to have a good load factor, so that the hydrogen uh, can from the electrolysis uh, be actually uh, be competitive? <laughs> We all need to, to learn to work practice uh, electrolysis, <laughs> please. <laughs> Thanks for the question, uh, Christian, and just for the sake of clarification, so PPAs are corporate purchasing um, power agreements, yeah. so they're kind of certificates uh, that allows the, uh, uh, the people buying electricity to show that this electricity came from an actual renewable source. So Nicola, uh, floor is yours, can you please answer the question? Yeah, uh, there is. Thanks, um, thanks, Federica, uh, uh, and thanks, Christian, for the question. I think there is uh, the theory and the practice here. Um, in theory, yes, it's possible. Um, the practice is a bit less straightforward for a number of reasons. Um, the first is that indeed um, there are different uh, um, markets with different rules, but also you have different uh, uh, size of companies, different uh, culture. And um, um, depending on, on uh, in, in the marketing which you're operating, um, uh, there's also it depends on also on, on um, whether companies are in a position to do that or not. But assuming all is fine and assuming that all the regulation is okay, um, clearly there is an issue of uh, volumes. Um, we need uh, we would have to contract a significant amount of volumes of uh, um, renewable electricity sources. Um, knowing that we will also need uh, at the same time um, um, renewable electricity uh, also for the direct electrification so it's not just about hydrogen so it, it's uh, the, the volumes are are, are big um, and then uh, if we start also adding some um, uh, restrictions when it comes for instance of uh, what is uh, uh, potentially coming in the, in the delegated act then, then we would like to see whether those volumes are still uh, eligible or not uh, and also depends on um, whether uh, we would be in a position to uh, um, to be to, to, to claim these uh, these volumes uh, because not 
everywhere in Europe is possible to install large-scale um, renewable energy sources um, to be used for uh, hydrogen consumption as it is now uh, foreseen in, in um, at least in the proposals. So uh, in theory uh, everything is possible, practice uh, will uh, uh, turn to be a, a bit more um, difficult than it looks like, um, but then again it's really to me, this is always, uh, it, it sounds a bit like we, we try to do some uh, uh, accounting tricks um, to not to try to address the biggest problem, which is uh, whether we will have enough volumes uh, to be dedicated uh, for uh, uh, industrial hydrogen consumption. And I think this is something that we, this, it's a deep debate that we need to, to have uh, because uh, that is, is quite uh, relevant when it comes to defining uh, the next steps in the process. Thanks, Nicola Rega. Uh, let me pick up now on a, a couple of questions uh, coming from the audience. And one of them is coming from uh, Geert de Kock from Transport and Environment, the, uh, the international NGO. And he's asking about the cost of production uh, of, of hydrogen using uh, grid-connected electricity coming from uh, nuclear power. Uh, according to his calculations, the cost right now would be around three kilos uh, per kilogram of uh, hydrogen, which uh, he says is probably around twice the cost of renewable hydrogen by 2030. Uh, now we have another uh, viewer, Mike Parr, who mentions a project in Spain called Hydeal, which uh, will deliver, uh, according to him, green hydrogen next year for a price of 1.5 euros per kilogram. And so the question uh, both of them are asking is, uh, is nuclear-powered hydrogen competitive? Yes, maybe Christelle Rouillet, you can have a go at this one. Um, yes, um, of course, the most important thing uh, if you want to produce uh, low carbon or and or renewable hydrogen is the electricity sourcing price. That's the most important thing. And um, um, depending, of course, if you are uh, talking about uh, um, uh, renewable um, uh, electricity uh, uh, from Spain, uh, which could be uh, at 16 euro per megawatt hours, but at least um, um the uh, um uh, the uh, right now if we, we are talking about uh, the uh, um price of uh, electri electrolytic hydrogen with um uh, grid connected um uh, electricity we are about uh, 5 uh, euro per megawatt uh, hours with uh, this uh, uh, market electricity price that i was talking about uh, just before um and, uh, and and for that uh, of course we are talking about this uh, uh, global uh, uh, based load um but um uh, we can uh, of course um, have these uh, uh, things to um, uh, um have electricity from renewable uh, wind farm or uh, solar farm from uh, Spain. But at least the most important thing also is just to have the customers that will need this hydrogen. And uh, that's why uh, we develop a, a project where the customers are near to uh, the, uh, I would say, electricity uh, 
um, uh, uh, sourcing. So it's um, it could be uh, in theory uh, very in, uh, interesting to produce uh, um, hydrogen in Spain because you think that uh, you will get uh, um, a very uh, good price of electricity sourcing because of uh, uh, renewable uh, uh, farms, but at least you will probably have uh, some other items as the as transport of uh, hydrogen because the customers are not so near to uh, this electricity uh, sourcing. Thanks, Christelle Aurier. Uh, let me turn to uh, Raza Engstead, uh, maybe for this question of the, uh, the competitiveness uh, of, of nuclear-based hydrogen compared with other uh, potential sources, do you see uh, do you see this as a competitive source of of hydrogen for the European Union or specific countries, maybe depending on their electricity mix? Yeah, thank you so much, Frederick. I think at this point I will not go into uh, kind of deciding whether the numbers are right or not. Or not. I think it's you know the calculations are different and the aspects are different. But just to contribute to the uh, once again, a different aspect on this is what well, the first thing we have to when we compare prices, we need to compare either new build to new build or established to established. So, of course, if you compare renewables uh, new build to nuclear new build, the, the price calculations will be, you know, on, on one side. If you compare renewables new build with existing nuclear already existing in energy mix then the you know the price comparison might look a little bit different so i think it's important that we don't compare uh, apples to pears and we also look at uh, most cost cost efficient ways so if the nuclear is already on in the mix and it's a fossil free source of electricity which contributes to the actual goal of climate neutrality the whole reason we're discussing this and looking into new technologies so in the end that is that is clear that you know we need to use the existing electricity and therefore i once again want to want to come back to this question of additionality that we, it's it's important that we don't isolate the question of new produced renewables to new produced uh, new pro um, build electrolyzer in an isolated environment, but look into certain clusters, regional clusters system where a, a, a large electrolyzers could be used um, connecting to the grid or using different projects to different renewable energy projects to to provide that that uh, source of energy or a combination of those. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is creating demand. And I think that's that's a question that was coming back over and over again in this discussion. And it, it's important to look at the full value chain. And from the Swedish example, we see that, for example, the fossil free steel, it was a question when they started the pilot project, whether that will, you know, whether the demand of fossil free steel will be high enough to for the price to decrease so that it will be competitive in the market. The reality shows that there is a lot of companies that look in the full value chain and look how to decarbonize their production value chain as well. And so the first pellet, the fossil free steel kind of pellet was produced um, this August. And already, I don't know if you noticed that in media, but already hybrid made deal with or, or the LKIB, the, the, the provider of the steel, the fossil free steel, has already made a, a kind of a, a, a deal or a contract with, with Mercedes, which wants to decarbonize its steel production and use a fossil free steel. And the more we look into the value chain, the more um, 
end users of different materials that will be uh, carbon neutral or fossil free will will create the demand and which in turn will create the, the need of production of the fossil free hydrogen for that different for the, those different materials so i think it's important to look in a, in a different aspects and the different stages and 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 um, create the need of 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 decarbonizing the full value chain which in turn will will increase the demand of the uh, fossil free hydrogen Thank you. Uh, let me turn maybe to Bart uh, Grothuis about um, your views when it comes to the uh, cost competitiveness uh, of nuclear-based uh, hydrogen production. Do you share the views of uh, Raza Engstedt there? Well, first of all, it's extremely important to, to not just look at energy conversion losses to production prices, etc. It's extremely important to look at it as a, as a systematic cost. So what are the system costs of it all, including transport, including production, including the building, including the long term? Um, and, and, and in that way, it's interesting also to look at energy security and supply chain security to make sure that you have something when it doesn't, when there's no sun and there's no uh, wind. So this, it's also interesting to look at from that perspective, not just because the cost of, 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 of looking at it from a what does it cost per euro is, is extremely cost uh, inefficient if you look at it from an energy security perspective. Um, I was very glad to see that Tata Steel in the Netherlands, uh, the Indian company's Tata Steel, um, is still thinking that it can produce green steel in the Netherlands. It can do so, I think, with, um, with, with, with offshore wind, of course, and with, um, but also with import, uh, which is extremely important for that business case. But I'm sure that if you want a constant production for some of the facilities outside the steel level, you need a constant production flow of, of a thing going from nuclear with the small with the smr uh, uh, developments in the in a nuclear um, uh, business going on i think we, we have not seen the end of the cost effectiveness of, of creating energy production from 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 nuclear plants we have to remember that we reduced the cost of, of, of solar energy production more than 90 percent in 10 years time it's extremely efficient and I'm very eager to learn how the nuclear uh, branch is going to um, create sort like uh, cost effective schemes for, for, for the production so I won't exclude it I'm not sure I don't know I'm, I'm very interested in the figures but I am also interested in what innovation can take place here and how can we make it more cost efficient to transport to store etc etc Thank you very much, uh, Bart Grotos. And uh, let me turn to Nicola Reger uh, now for the same question about uh, cost competitiveness of, uh, uh, of hydrogen produced from nuclear power. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Frederick. And um, uh, also, from my side, I'm not going to comment on numbers. I take them for, for, for correct. I have no reason to doubt of these numbers. But just wanted to make um, uh, three points here that are, I think are relevant in this discussion. Uh, the first one is that I, I don't think we are talking about um, either or uh, technologies. Um, I think we need all of them because uh, we are running out of time. And uh, if we believe in, in, in a market and that the market will um, give uh, the, the will, will stimulate innovation, I think it's important we get the, the, the framework condition right in terms of, of CO2 accounting and then let the market decide uh, which is uh, uh, the best uh, source uh, depending on, on the conditions um, and so forth. Um, secondly, um, I think yeah, in this comparison, we need to exactly understand also what is the purpose of this hydrogen. 
Um, so for, for which sectors are, are we talking about? Um, because uh, if you look at uh, um, production, um, uh, delivery and, and use of hydrogen, well, um, delivering hydrogen for industrial customers, um, it's quite different than delivering hydrogen for um, uh, transport, for instance. Uh, because of the whole difference in, in logistics, the, the difference in terms of um, uh, time of delivery. Um, clearly for industry, if you need to have a, a constant supply of hydrogen, it's different than if you can uh, store it in, in, in trucks and then move the trucks uh, across Europe. Um, and thirdly, uh, I think it also depends very much of, on what kind of um, business model we're we talking about. Um, on top of my head, I can think of three business models. One is... Uh, um, where um, uh, hydrogen is uh, uh, produced uh, with um, renewable uh, um, electricity, which is uh, uh, directly connected with installation, uh, or when it, whether the renewable electricity is or uh, is used uh, um, uh, distant in a distant consumption center, where then electricity is taken from the grid and uh, um, and and is used in electrolyzer on site. Or thirdly, whether um, hydrogen is produced uh, with the renewable electricity, um, uh, I'll say, at the production side, and then it's it's uh, um, sent through um, a pipeline um, to the uh, hydrogen consumption center. I think depending on, on what kind of, of, of segment you are in, in terms of a business model, uh, and what kind of customer are you trying to address? Clearly, the, the, the numbers start changing quite significantly depending on what you need to do. So I think, uh, um, again, back to my uh, opening statement, I think we need them all. Uh, I think we need the market to, to let the market work, given the right uh, uh, parameter, parameters. And the parameters are that they have to be, first and foremost, in terms of uh, 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 CO2 accounting. Um, and the CO2 accounting needs to be uh, verified. Um, monitor verified. Uh, I prefer this kind of uh, uh, checkpoints at, at every time throughout the value chain, other in comparison to some sort of uh, uh, not clear life cycle assessment uh, figures that might apply for some production for the others, and they will not reflect uh, innovation over time. So I'll leave it like that. Thank you. Thanks, Nicola. Uh, let me uh, maybe turn now to Ruud Kempener for a, a few thoughts from, from your side uh, about uh, different ways of calculating cost competitiveness of, uh, of hydrogen, uh, especially coming from uh, nuclear when compared to new build, not new build, uh, etc. Is that something where you believe uh, policymakers and the European Commission could uh, bring some further clarity uh, in the coming months? Um, I think the discussion which we had today was, uh, oh, now actually is very interesting because indeed I think throughout the whole, all panelists which we have been dis discussing this point, we we brought things up, not only the production cost of the electricity, it's also the value of the consumer, it's the whole system cost which you need to think of uh, as well. And I think one element which, which I, I thought I could add here as well is that as we did in the hydrogen strategy, we really see different phases of development. And I think the first phase, which we're in, clearly in right now, is this phase to 2030, where we really are uh, scaling up the, the electrolyzer market, uh, where we have this 40 gigawatts uh, of electrolyzers in place, and we really come to a stage where we have a mature industry. 
Now, if we look at the figures for 2050, then our 2030 targets constitute only 10% of what we need in 2050. So I think what is important to take into consideration is that we need a massive scale-up, irrespectively of what scenario we're looking at in the period from 2030 to 2050. So then if you look at the costs for society or the opportunities, the investment opportunities for society, 90% of that still will be in that period after, after 2030. So we really need the period right now, up to 2030, to get those, those costs coming down and also allow those industries which need to invest in the next decade to have the confidence that that hydrogen is there for them. I think those are two very important two considerations from a kind of policy perspective, ensuring that this whole um, kind of energy transition is happening in Europe. And with that, I think there is at the back of our mind always the, the other consideration as well, is that we're not thinking only about hydrogen, but we're really thinking about this as an integrated energy system. So how can we make sure that not only the investments in hydrogen take place, but also the enormous amounts of investments in renewable power generation needed to decarbonize electricity market? Because even with more investments in nuclear, we are looking at, at investments in renewables which are almost doubling uh, the capacity which is installed today simply to get to our, our, our 2030 targets. Uh, and then, of course, the, 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 the investments also needed at the, the end user side, which I think is a very important part of this whole equation as well. Uh, will we be producing the same way we've been producing on the basis of fossil fuels? Or are we also going to check on our um, ant consumption? And there maybe think about how can we make our ant consumption and our production processes there uh, invest in such a way that these are also becoming more compatible with an energy system which will be, ba will be based on decarbonized energy carriers. Thanks, Ruud Campenet. Uh, let me go back now to Christelle Rouillet about, uh, well, your expectations at the end of the day when it comes to the, uh, uh, the gas decarbonization package, uh, which is coming in just a few weeks uh, from now. Uh, you mentioned or alluded to this before, there are issues uh, sometimes with consistency, uh, maybe uh, when it comes to the definitions or the different thresholds that may apply in different pieces of legislation. So can you tell us um, about your expectations uh, there when it comes to the uh, upcoming proposal uh, of the European Commission, Christelle? Yes, thank you, Frédéric. Uh, coming uh, back to the gas and hydrogen package uh, expected uh, in uh, December, um, I think that um, the definition of low carbon uh, hydrogen is needed. Um, a first uh, key step is to clarify the definition of, of all type uh, of gases uh, based on CO2 emission uh, throughout the, the production process and uh, to implement robust uh, certification uh, uh, scheme. Uh, and uh, the key role of uh, low carbon uh, electricity uh, uh, sources uh, is uh, uh, to produce hydrogen by electrolysis. Um, that needs uh, to be recognized and supported uh, also, uh, as, uh, um, as we said uh, uh, also before. Um, probably um, the, the CO2 uh, emission uh, threshold uh, set up in the EU taxonomy, uh, um, uh, remember the, the three uh, uh, kilograms of CO2 per uh, 
kilogram of hydrogen is an ambitious and established reference to define low carbon hydrogen in upcoming European legislation. That's a key point. I would say also defining key uh, regulatory principle for the nascent uh, hydrogen market is essential. Huh? That's also what we uh, we said during this uh, uh, this meeting, uh, such as uh, transparency, uh, such as uh, prevention of uh, cross uh, subsidization uh, between customer uh, uh, categories, infrastructure and uh, production uh, activities. And maybe if um, I, I, I come back to uh, one point that uh, has been also uh, uh, discussed in uh, the, uh, uh, the infrastructure. Um, a cautious, uh, I would say a cautious approach should be really uh, adopted uh, to the repurposing uh, of existing gas uh, grids and uh, on the deployment of dedicated hydrogen uh, uh, grids, which is a view to avoid uh, stranded assets and fossil uh, locking. The need uh, for uh, repurposing uh, will indeed depend on future uses of hydrogen. And this is in this context, context sorry, uh, I think that any investment in networks uh, should be based upon a cost benefits uh, analysis, evaluating other options, for instance, uh, flexibility and uh, demand uh, evolution. And maybe just coming back uh, to uh, uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 the point that uh, was uh, raised by uh, um, uh, Dr. Uh, I think that uh, oh, sorry. I think that um, uh, it's uh, also on the additionality. I would say the effort uh, of deploying renewables should be should not be sorry allocated to individual production project. It should rather uh, uh, be done. Uh, I would say uh, at member state uh, level, based on uh, uh, national climate and energy uh, plans of course, monitored by uh, the Commission. Um, uh, indeed, the demand for electricity uh, triggered by, uh, by the deployment of uh, electrolytic, uh, electrolytic sorry, hydrogen, like uh, that uh, of uh, any uh, other use of electricity, can only be assessed from a global perspective, as uh, Christian said, including all existing and future renewable and low-carbon plants. Thanks, Christelle Rouillet. And let me turn now to Nicolas Regain for a few words from your end regarding the expectations from the chemical industry when it comes to the upcoming gas decarbonization package. Yeah, Th thank you, Frederic. I think it's important that we will, uh, uh, this package comes uh, I'll say as soon as possible because it is really uh, the other side of the coin. Um, we need to have a full picture of um, uh, the rules of the game for this uh, hydrogen um, uh, market and also um, this uh, uh, so much weighted definition of uh, low carbon hydrogen um, because that is that goes hand in hand with um, uh, renewable hydrogen in, in trying to understand uh, what kind of uh, um, uh, volumes are we talking about, what kind of market we can build and also what kind of um, uh, rules of the game we can, we can envisage. Um, I think we will have an uh, um, interesting conversation, uh, um, not so much in terms of, of market rules. I think we should be pretty 
okayish in, in going the same direction, but it's really a matter to understand how can we um, step up the, the, the hydrogen uh, um, market slash infrastructures, which at the moment uh, are um, uh, these infrastructures are built uh, primarily to serve um, the chemical industry, uh, to provide the hyd hydrogen as a feedstock for the chemical industry, how this will evolve into uh, new dimensions, and uh, and then uh, uh, on that basis, I think we can uh, contribute. So I think the, the the gas package with the definition of low carbon hydrogen, uh, it, I think is gonna be one of the key um, missing piece of the puzzle and we're looking forward for the discussion on that aspect as well. Thank you. Thanks, and uh, Raza Engsted now, uh, maybe a few words from you when it comes to uh, your expectations uh, from the European Commission's upcoming gas decarbonization package. Yeah, thanks so much, Frederick. Of course, we have, um, it's exciting times now, like waiting for Christmas presents until the Commission can deliver it just before the Christmas. Um, for us, I think it will not surprise you very much. For us, it's important that the, this gas package really becomes from gas, natural gas liberalization package, which was earlier the initiative under the earlier commission together with electricity market design uh, into the real gas decarbonization package meaning that we would move away from fossil um, fossil natural gas to uh, decarbonize gases and I think using all decarbonized gases uh, that uh, have you know fossil free um, and, and, and low uh, carbon emissions is is the main priority for us. Okay, thanks. Uh, Bart Grotheis, maybe a few words from you regarding expectations um, on the uh, upcoming gas decarbonization package. Yes, the Christmas present from Root and his colleagues. Well, uh, first of all, uh, very much looking forward to that. Um, but especially on, uh, as a lawmaker's perspective, it's very interesting to see the red and uh, to see renewable energy and green hydrogen being regulated over there. And then having the gas package with the blue hydrogen regulated over there, but how about regulating and how are we going to regulate and legislate on purple hydrogen from nuclear-based uh, production methods? That is a question I still have. Maybe Ruth can sell, say something about that. But uh, first of all, uh, my closing remark is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. That's my main stance in Parliament, and I'm very happy that we found agreement on all parties there. We will support that uh, stance uh, later on in the legislative process. Thank you. Uh, a word from you, maybe, Christian Engerdorfer, about your expectations from the gas package. Uh, what do you believe are the opportunities uh, there for the, uh, for the European Commission and the European Union to clarify things when it comes to hydrogen? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you see that, uh, the, you know, it was mentioned several times, uh, the, is the missing bit, uh, there is a, the missing part of the puzzle, you know, how to move to a a framework for low carbon uh, molecules that's uh, coming. We need to have a detour there. And I think that's for me the most important part in that we need to build first this market to first build the electrolyzer market as just uh, Ruth said it. So that's the job until 2030. Fairly straightforward with a few issues, additionality, some of them have been mentioned. But then we should need, it's important to keep in mind that beyond that, that's really the massive scale up by 2030. Uh, this needs to be there. 
maybe one last point. I felt a little bit that we had a very north northwestern European discussion, and it may be worthwhile also engage a little bit with central, more with central and southeast Europe, especially since they have taken quite a bit of a hit uh, because of the high electricity prices, which have changed a little bit the dynamics and the discussion on the decarbonization. Thanks, Christian. And uh, I think we're slowly getting uh, closer to the end of this conference. But before uh, we close, I'd like to ask each one of you to maybe summarize in a few uh, sentences um, the main message that you would like uh, our audience to take home with them. And I will start with Christelle Rouillet. Christelle, you were, you, you were muted, so we couldn't hear I'm you. I'm sorry. Can you start over? I was, I'm sorry. I was uh, on, on mute. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Frédéric, for, for uh, this opportunity and, and this uh, very uh, interesting and, uh, and exciting debate uh, that we have with, uh, with uh, all the different uh, uh, people around this table. Um, I would say that um, um, as uh, all uh, what we said is... Uh, we are right now in a crucial time uh, because we all see that uh, hydrogen is uh, a vector of the decarbonization of the economy, um, talking about uh, transport and talking about uh, um, uh, industry. Um, on a really business point of view, that's uh, I, I, the only way that I can speak uh, on. Uh, it's not uh, science fiction uh, anymore. Huh? We are real, uh, in, in the real uh, time and uh, in, uh, in um, a real uh, developing uh, project. Um, we, uh, of course, expect many, many things uh, from the European Commission that uh, I, uh, we explain on uh, the gas petrol cage, uh, uh, fit for 55, the uh, rate to uh, uh, additionality and so on. It's very important uh, to uh, uh, have this uh, different uh, open uh, uh, sourcing uh, of electricity in order to decarbonize and to produce low carbon and renewable uh, hydrogen. Uh, and I think we are uh, uh, in uh, this uh, ambition, uh, uh, ambitious uh, way to uh, to uh, uh, 2030, so uh, uh, I am uh, very optimist. Thank you. Thanks, Christelle. And uh, let me turn to Nicolas Rago now for your uh, main message uh, coming from today's conference. Yes, thank you, Frederic. Uh, I think what I'd like to pass as a message is that um, time is ticking and uh, we really need to, to move forward um, uh, in the fastest and most cost-efficient way. And uh, um, the challenge is huge. So we need really to make sure that we have all the tools in place. And uh, we need uh, um, a robust accounting for um, CO2 emissions in our uh, whole uh, energy production. But then we need to have all um, renewable and low-carbon energy sources at our hand to uh, cost-efficiently move forward to meet the 2030 and the 2050 target. Thank you. Thank you, Nicola. Uh, let me turn to Raza Engstedt now. Thank you so much. Uh, two messages from my side. The first one, um, 
I think it's important that we move away from talking about colors, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, pink hydrogen, gray hydrogen. It's not really about color, which makes this discussion quite complex and divide it, which is better, pink or green or blue or green or, and so on. I think the, the ultimate goal is, is where, where we're going, which is climate neutrality, which means carbon neutral society we have to eliminate the fossil-based energy carriers, both for their primarily uh, primary use for hydrogen production, but also for their use in electricity, which in turn is used for hydrogen production. Move away from that in order to create the transition we're looking for. And the other message is, I can completely agree that from the examples of you know innovation, at least from the Swedish point of view, and what is happening in the market, we need to allow market to do their job. So we need to allow the market to grow, to give a framework, allowing them a, a level playing field, but at the same time, not deciding how the market will look like of this fossil free hydrogen, allowing the different areas to grow and see where the, the use of hydrogen will be the most cost effective and, and, and most used for the, for the emission reductions. So not too much detail regulation, but just giving a level playing field and allowing the market to grow will be a very important aspect in the, in the future work. Thank you so much. Thanks, Raza Engstead. And let me turn to Bart Grothuis now for your main uh, message coming from today's conference. Thanks, Frederick. Because as a, for a member of the industry committee, it's very important to just recall to everyone, there's no alternative for hydrogen, uh, for our main industries, for chemical, for cement, etc., um, for high temperature industries. If you realize that, then there is what we call in the industry, we call it a no regret scenario, investing in the infrastructure, ramping up this market, investing in low carbon alternatives for what we have now, now the destructive um, power that we now have to, to waste our environment. We can actually turn that into a competitive industry, very green, low carbon. It is a no regret scenario in all forms, stuff that we can use also to export, to make money out, to make a new uh, way to earn, um, to make new businesses out of here in Europe. And that is a way we should see it as an opportunity. It's a no regret scenario, and I really want to see it that way. There's nothing that we can exclude. But I do agree it should be low carbon and eventually we should phase out fossil, but not in the short term because we need to ramp up, etc. But we will get there together. Hold your breath. We will get there. Thanks, Bart. And uh, Christian Egenhofer now for some concluding thoughts. Yeah, uh, very, very quick. Uh, Ruth made, uh, an in my view, a very important point uh, relatively early is about the role of the consumer. Uh, and that relates also back uh, to Raza. Uh, yes, the level playing field is important, but for that also the consumer needs to know what uh, he or she gets. That will be in, in the end uh, decisive. It will be clear that some of the people want to have green hydrogen uh, with uh, produced with renewables. There may be others who look at, at different uh, properties and the consumer will need to know what is really in that package. So that will be, for me, the most important part. Thanks, Christian. So transparency there, uh, key for you. And to conclude, Ruud Kampenaer now uh, for your concluding thoughts. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll be working very hard on this Christmas package uh, present for everyone, of course. Um, but what I, I took from, from this discussion that was really interesting also to hear the different perspectives was that I think we all agree that as uh, as we heard, electrolytic hydrogen will be an important, critically important uh, part of our energy system. But also that we at the same time need to make sure that this uh, electrolytic hydrogen uh, draws its electricity from a decarbonized electricity system. And I think there is uh, like the, the crux in kind of getting this, this whole story right, making sure that we both get the electrolyzers in place and at the same time, decarbonize the electricity system as much as possible, such that we can kind of uh, make sure that we're on all the different pathways towards 2050 are on track. Uh, we can't do one without the other. And I think that doing that simultaneously and then it's in a synergetic matic is kind of uh, 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 an important um, uh, ambition and objective uh, from our side. Thanks, Ruud. So I think this wraps up uh, today's event. A big thanks to uh, EDF for supporting it and uh, to our panelists, of course, for attending this event, as well as to our viewers for following us. If you missed the beginning of this debate, you can watch it again uh, on YouTube and other social media. And if you'd like to know more about upcoming events on your active, please visit our website events.youractive.com for more detail. In the meantime, hope to see you again soon. Take care and stay safe.